Welcome, my name is Tom. This is the Enthusiasm Project Season 8, Episode 8. Ain't it great? Bet you can't wait. Don't be late. Uh, I live in a state, a state of denial. But you know what I'm not in denial about? That is the sponsor of this episode, which is Riverside.fm. So before we get started, I definitely want to let you know once again about Riverside.fm, which if somehow... You've been living under a rock and you're still not familiar with what it is. Riverside lets you easily record studio quality remote audio and video from anywhere with no latency. So you don't have to wait and see with that latency, regardless of internet bandwidth. So even if your connection is not ideal, you'll still look and sound great. Riverside automatically records locally to each participant's computer and then uploads all of that to the cloud. That means your guests don't have to do anything and you'll get full quality, isolated audio and video tracks for each person. And this is very cool. Those locally recorded files are supported up to 2164K video and 44.1 or 48,000 kilohertz audio. So take your pick. And there's even a mobile app to make things easier for you and your guests. You can, of course, take those files from Riverside and just publish them as is and you're done. Or you can take them and put them into your editing software of choice and you'll have independent audio and video tracks for each person so if you'd like to give riverside a try use the link in the description of this episode along with promo code tom15 for 15 percent off your subscription thank you again so much to riverside.fm for sponsoring not just this episode but this entire season of which this is the eighth episode of the enthusiasm project and speaking of episodes i've been having a bit of a creative episode that sounds that sounds like a problem i've i've been coming to terms with something creatively which is the topic that i want to discuss today and it involves video podcasts video podcasts maybe you've heard of them <laughs> maybe you're someone who's heard of podcasts maybe even video podcasts and that's that's what we're going to be talking about today just a little bit now for someone like myself who has been a lifelong audio and video enthusiast, a nerd, if you will, the idea of a video podcast is kind of like the perfect thing, right? It's everything I love, audio and video production, and it's like this perfect medium to explore those things. And I'm somebody who, my job is I have a YouTube channel, and my like main side hobby out of that is making a podcast. So video podcasting is pretty ideal, right? Like it's something I should be incredibly excited about. But I'm not, and I haven't been. And I want to talk about that because I think that that's, I think it's important for me to get off my chest, but I also think it's maybe an important perspective to share as video podcasts continue to become more and more popular just in general. So there's something really interesting that happened this past week. Well, there's a few things interesting that happened this past week, but one of them was uh, I posted a video that was, it was intended to be on my second channel and it ended up being on my main channel and it was about lavalier microphones. It was, uh, I didn't want to be too cavalier in my look at lavalier microphones and, uh, 
God, I broke my own brain. I'm sorry about that. But basically what it was is me acknowledging a, a weakness in my audio production. Now, there's a lot of weaknesses in my knowledge. Don't get me wrong. But I feel fairly competent in, in certain things and fairly incompetent in many, many, many other things, one of which being how to use lavalier microphones. I just... I, I honestly get so frustrated because I see people who put zero thought into it. They just get like a $16 lavalier microphone from Amazon, plug it into their phone, clip it wherever, and then it sounds amazing. And I'm over here trying to rig up all of these setups with really high-end gear and run it through software to process it. And the stuff I get sounds like this weird, mumbly, scoopy mid mess of just awfulness. And I, I can't, it's so frustrating. So I have this frustration with lavalier microphones that has essentially caused me to just not use them, which is fine because I don't need them most of the time. However, there are times where you really just need that flexibility, the versatility that comes with a lavalier microphone, and I always kind of dread it. And so I decided I'm going to just like kind of tackle this. And the thing I wanted to do was uh, get a 32-bit float recorder. So I got the Zoom F2, which basically means, if you haven't seen that video, 32-bit float essentially is like audio with more dynamic range, for lack of a better... Like how you have raw photos versus a JPEG. It's kind of this... I don't want to say it's the same thing, but it's kind of the same thing. You basically don't have to worry about your levels. You just record stuff, and then you can adjust it while you're editing to be whatever you need. As long as something's not insane, you're not recording with your microphone near a jet engine you're probably not going to clip anything and even if levels are too low you could raise them up you can even them out and you're not going to have hiss and noise and inconsistencies so it's ex it's exactly what i need based on the problems i have with lavalier microphones also being caused by being just a one-person crew which is something i love like i love being a solo creator but you know sometimes it's tough because even when i do tests i take a lavalier microphone and i test it and do recording and check the levels and I'll talk for minutes and watch it back and listen back and it sounds fine. But then when I go to make the actual video where I'm talking maybe for 40 minutes at a time or more, throughout that 40 minutes, there are just so many instances where I move my head in a direction or the volume of my voice changes and the microphone can't really adapt to keep up with that in the way that I would like it to. And it is incredibly frustrating. So 32-bit float I thought would be really helpful for that. And then also positioning lavalier microphones is is tough. And I've learned a lot just in the like week since I made that video. I've learned a lot from people sharing their input. And, you know, a lot of times on YouTube, people love to tell you what you're doing wrong. But if you genuinely ask, hey, I need help with this, it's so beneficial and it's great. And I know that, you know, there are people who stumble across my videos who have a lot of experience and knowledge. And so please, like, please help is what I was asking for. And that was fun. That was, you know, like I said, it was supposed to be on my second channel. So it was supposed to be more casual. But then one of the things I liked about putting on the main channel was because it was so casual. And it was me genuinely admitting, like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm probably making mistakes. And here's what I think I'm doing. And here's what I'm going to try. That was kind of cool in a way that I didn't really expect because basically instead of playing to a strength I was admitting something I didn't know and then based on the comments and messages and things that I got after that I was not alone in feeling that way and by me publicly admitting it it 
let other people feel more comfortable to admit that they also don't know or they need help with it too. And I remember that from being a teacher. Like, I remember, especially in like the digital media classes I taught where you kind of had to put yourself out there and, you know, be a little performative, be creative a little bit, probably, you know, mess up, cringy as the kids would say. It would be really hard to convince a teenager to put themselves out there like that. So I would... I learned very quickly, just I'll be the first person to make an idiot out of myself and to do something goofy. And once I do that, everybody else will feel a lot more comfortable doing it. And it worked like a charm. This is kind of the same thing. Like, I think you you always want to feel like you know what you're doing and you know what you're talking about. You want to prove your competency to people. But it can kind of feel, especially when it comes to production things where workflows are so different and skill sets and backgrounds are so different and there, there's just no similarity between two different people, two different workflows, no 100% like overlap. There's a lot of similarities, but there's no pure overlap. And I think what that means is a lot of people then just sort of ignore the stuff, myself included, ignore the stuff they don't know, block it off and just try not to encounter situations where they have to deal with it because you don't want to deal with it. And I, I thought that this was kind of a cool thing. Admitting I didn't know something was neat. And the reason that I bring that up is because I sort of feel like the topic of video podcasts, at least for me, is kind of the same. I feel like the opinion I have is not a popular opinion, but I don't think I'm alone in having the opinion. And so I kind of just want to share my side of this and put that out there because it might be beneficial to other people who also maybe just need to hear that and to know that they're not the only ones feeling the way that they feel. And so, like I said just a moment ago, with video podcasts, they have all of the ingredients. It's like a a dish that has all of my favorite things in it, but for some reason, I don't want to eat it. You know, like, I don't like the end result for some reason. So, let me talk about that a little bit. First, with a few disclaimers, of course. One being, this is all just my personal opinion and my personal experience, and I'm talking mostly about me from the creator side of things. I am not condemning or criticizing video podcasting as a medium, and I'm definitely not judging or critiquing anybody who enjoys creating or consuming video podcasts. So I want to be super clear on that, and I think you'll understand what I mean as we go on a little bit. But I was starting to think, okay, it seems like video podcasting is becoming ubiquitous. Like I I can't even, it's like almost everything I listen to has a video version or video component And I know that would be skewed heavily by what you happen to listen to. But I was thinking about my personal most listened to podcast, aside from uh, this one, of course, and uh, something like The Hive from Jared Spink, who I was lucky enough to be the guest host of his 100th episode recently. But aside from those those podcasts, uh, my other most listened to podcast is Talking Simpsons, a chronological exploration of The Simpsons. And not only that, but I'm a supporter of their Patreon, which is, so the podcast is their full-time job, Talking Simpsons is free, and the ads on it, quote-unquote ads, are just essentially calls to action for Patreon. And once you sign up for Patreon, you get basically more podcasts. Like, you you get uh, not just sort of like earlier releases of episodes, but you get totally different series because they also have like, Talking of the Hill, which is sort of the same thing for King of the Hill. They do um, Talking Futurama, and then they also do like just other cartoon movies and cartoon series, animated stuff, 
long like you'll get a four and a half hour podcast i mean there's so many new things coming out every week it's like the best value patreon out there so now it sounds like you should go sign up for their patreon <laughs> patreon.com slash talking simpsons yeah uh but or or mine you should you should also sign up for my patreon but the the thing about it is it's all audio only there's not a hint of video from two people who've been doing this for, I mean, those specific podcasts, I, seven years, I think, thousands of episodes, and multiple different shows, great production skills, and it's all just audio only. And I realized that is pretty fascinating that it, that it is audio only. And I think that there's a lot, I think that there are a lot of benefits to video podcasts but it was kind of reassuring to me what i've been grappling with is this feeling of me not wanting to do a video podcast and i guess like i'm trying to think of how i want to approach, <laughs> i don't want to approach this when i say i don't want to do a video podcast i guess i should put it this way if the podcast if this show were my main thing if this were my main job, I would actually go in the other direction and put like 110% into making a video podcast. Like I would like do what I used to do when I was teaching broadcast at the school or like built a set and there's a whole production for just, just dealing for video podcasts. And I would put a ton into the editing of the shows and I would, um, you know, make the visual an integral component where you kind of, I don't want to say you're missing out if you're not listening not seeing the visuals, but there's a there's a genuine reason why it's on screen and it's not just audio only. I would work really hard to make that happen, but that is a full-time job in a lot of ways. And for me, the podcast, the best part about it is the like the freedom of it and the amazing workflow and getting to explore topics in depth. And what I have found, and the reason I haven't done a video podcast in a few weeks, is because I found myself feeling excited, like I can't wait to talk about this thing, I can't wait to record this week's episode, and then I realize, like, oh, I got to do like the video stuff, and my excitement drops once I like realize I got to like you know set things up and do this and the whole post workflow, even without editing the episode, like going in and editing things together, like just taking the ecam file for many different reasons, getting that available on Patreon and to YouTube channel memberships, it's. It's a many hours long process that is just not fun. And then I find myself like not being as excited to record the episode, which is why I haven't done it. So that's also something I want to be clear about. Previous video versions, if you're watching those, I don't want you to watch those and think this is a guy doing something he doesn't want to do. No, not at all. Those are totally voluntary. I'm doing those because I wanted to because either something in the show was very integral to being visual. Like I remember talking about old cameras and old camcorders. And like when I'm talking about the Canon L1, being able to hold up this super weird looking camera and show it to you. So if you wanted to see it, you could see it. I think really made the show better. And there are other times too, where I'm like playing around with the workflow. Okay, can I use the Stream Deck pedal in this way? Can I use Ecamm in this way? Can I change this camera setting, this lighting setup? It's, it's a really fun chance to be experimental. So every time I've done a video podcast episode, that's been the case. Like there's something about it where it's either integral to the topic of that show 
or I'm getting to experiment and play with something technically on the production side of things that is really fun. And that, and that will continue to be the case because in the future, when I'll produce other video versions, there's a reason for it. And so just know that if you see it, it's a good thing. But what it also means is when I don't want to do it, I would much rather not instead of push myself to do something that that I'm, I'm not enjoying. Because the other thing, the, the biggest downfall for me when it comes to video podcasts, to producing them, is the way it feels when I'm recording them. Because I'm paying attention to so many different things. I'm aware that I'm on camera, trying to remember, keep eye contact with camera, uh, you know, pay attention to what needs, what scene I need to be on, what shot I need to be on. There's, it's much more performing than what I'm doing right now, which is audio only. I'm also just using the Rode NT-USB Plus, the new one, by the way, which was the mystery mic like several episodes ago. I had a mystery mic. It was this one, Rode NT-USB Plus, um, which is, I've, I've been using this a lot and Heather has too, and it is awesome. But this is a very different experience. So, <laughs> um, I we don't need to go too much into detail, but I made it three years almost, and then I, I got COVID this week, uh, which was awful and terrible, and I'm feeling better now, but uh, I am still isolated, so I am on the floor with the video mic, or not the video mic, the USB mic plugged into my computer, and that is the podcasting episode for this week, and then this mic needs to get like quarantined after I've been talking on it for a while. But the fact, like, I, I feel fine enough right now to make this episode. Maybe I sound a little stuffy. I apologize if I do, but I feel totally fine. I did not feel fine earlier this week. It was terrible. We don't need to get into that now. But right now I feel fine. But for a number of reasons, the least of which is being like, can't go spread germs right now. I can't produce a video episode this this week. It, it's a thing I can't do, but I can totally produce an audio episode. And so I can sit here comfortably while I'm recovering and record an audio podcast. And it's it's totally fine. And because I'm not focusing on the whole video production side of things, just the audio side of things, I can pay a lot more attention to the topic and my notes and where I want to take things than I would have to otherwise. And then the whole post-production workflow is like exponentially smaller. You can have something be exponentially smaller, right? doesn't just work in largeness. But yeah, so that's a thing that I've noticed is when there's a topic I'm really into and I get to do an audio only version, I feel like I am more focused on the topic in a way that helps the episode be better and helps me explore it better. So that's another big reason that I I like the workflow better of an audio only podcast. And I like how I focus on the topic more. So especially since the podcast is it used to be I had like my full-time job, my YouTube channel was a side project and the podcast was like the side project, side project. And now like YouTube is full-time and the podcast is a side project. If that were flipped, again, I would I would want to take advantage of video podcasting and I put a lot more into that. But because of how it is now for me, I really enjoy audio only. And I have felt so guilty every time I don't do a video version of the podcast because I feel like I really should. And of all people, like the person who loves audio video production, like it's a lot of should. I should, I should. And I feel like there's almost like a an expectation that I would, not from you or anyone, just in my own head. But I feel like that expectation is there. And 
I've had to just admit that I need to do what works best for me. And so it's important to understand that it just might not be a good fit at the time being, even if it does feel like it should be, or all the things on paper makes, you know, make sense. Of course, like I said, there are times when a video podcast does make sense. So I'm not, you know, if you just love producing a video podcast, produce a video podcast. Who cares if it's a side project of your side project of a side project? For me, when it gets into like making the video podcast as good as I would want it to be, then it's almost like making another YouTube video. And I don't have that. I don't have a schedule that would allow me to do that in a sustainable way. So it's like, I can't don't want to do that. But if you want to do, you know, like do whatever you want to do. If the topic that you're creating or your show is inherently visual, you know, like maybe it is a one-off episode, like I talked about with older cameras or something. Yeah, it makes sense that you would want to show that to people. Um, Maybe you do a show where you cut away to lots of different clips or images or something, you know, things that just make a lot of sense to be visual. Totally makes sense. If you're somebody who has guests a lot, I think a video podcast makes a lot of sense because chances are you're probably already on a video call. And so you could just potentially using Riverside.fm, the sponsor of this episode, you could use that promo code Tom15, and then you could record that video call, and then you got a video podcast. You're already on the call. Why not record it and make that a video episode? You know, like, I, again, thinking of Jared and the Hive podcast, like, not only does he have guests, you could do audio only with a guest, but if they're already talking to each other with video, and especially in his case, a lot of the people he talks about, talks to have high quality video setup. So it already looks good. It already sounds good. Why not just like make that into a video podcast? So there are things that, you know, where it just sort of lends itself to making a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I, that's, that's important. But at the same time, yeah, I guess, I guess the other big advantage to video podcasting, which can't go unnoticed, and is a reason that I would really want to embrace it if it were the main thing I did, is because it gives you access to YouTube. You could, of course, upload your audio podcast to YouTube. I've seen people, you know, they just put their podcast artwork, make a video file where the podcast artwork is the visual, the podcast is the audio, and then you put that up. That I don't think is a great way to like grow your podcast or anything. But, you know, putting a produced video podcast publicly on YouTube now you have access to all of YouTube's audience, all of YouTube's algorithm and discovery options and things. So if you're somebody who wants to grow your podcast and podcast growth is a, a really important thing, you know, it, then it is very hard to overlook the benefit of video if for no other reason than it gives you access to YouTube, which is, which is huge. But speaking of YouTube, speaking of access, I do have some statistics to sort of like, rather than just say how I feel about this, I kind of wanted to bring in a little bit of data to sort of help back this up. Because one of my biggest things with video podcasting, which I do still believe, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze. Because an audio-only workflow can be complicated, creating high-quality audio, especially, you know, if you're not doing what I'm doing, you're just sitting talking for an hour, but you're doing, like, something like Serial or, like, an NPR-style podcast where it's a soundscape and there's all kinds of design and production and you're weaving interview, like, that is a really big project to edit. But for, for most podcasts, 
The audio part is relatively simple, especially with mics like the Rode NT-USB Plus right now. It's easy to get, you know, good sounding audio for pretty much anybody. But then adding video, it's like, it's such a, uh, it's such a leap. It's such a bigger thing that then gets thrown into the mix. And the workflow is entirely different. The file sizes are different. Like, you can streamline it. I, I think I have my video podcasting workflow streamlined pretty well through, through like, you know, various tools and things where, you know, the audio and the video gets synced. I do have that one file when I'm done. I can automatically play graphics, play outros. Like I've tried to sync it up as much as possible, but even just setting that up takes a ton of time. And then uploading it with our terrible internet, uh, you know, takes hours on end. Then publishing it, doing this, sharing these to three different platforms, like to me it's just so much work and looking at statistics so i'll put a link in the notes that go to where i got these from it's from an article that came out on october 21st of this year so uh, it's only a few weeks old at the time i'm recording this not even weeks like barely over a week old um here are a few of the statistics statistics that i pulled from that so first off just podcasts in general and I'm thinking that this is not with YouTube as a podcasting platform. It's with like everything, more traditional RSS feed-based platforms. Uh, there are 2.4 million podcasts on planet Earth. So 2.4 million different podcasts. All of those combined have 66 million episodes. So part of me is like, that's a lot. And another part of me is like, I kind of thought it'd be more than that. Because just by comparison, YouTube, in July of this year, those are the most recent numbers I can find, in July of 2022, YouTube had 114 million different channels. So in the world, there are 2.4 million podcasts. On YouTube, there are 114 million channels. Not users. Registered YouTube users, like people who actually sign in with an account to YouTube, is 2.6 billion. Almost one-third of the Earth's population <laughs> is on that website with an active account. That's not for, that's not talking about other people like, you know, my mom goes on YouTube, but she does not sign into an account, so that does not count as like a, an active user, but like a signed-in user, 2.6 billion. So again, when you talk about YouTube competitors popping up, who else has the infrastructure to support that? Nobody. But I can kind of break those numbers down a little bit more. So if you look at 2.4 million podcasts and you look at 114 million YouTube channels, it seems like it's not really anything to compare at all. But if we kind of go back and realize that just because someone creates a channel doesn't mean they even post anything on it, much less more than one video, much less consistently over a long time. So of those 114 million YouTube channels, there are only 28 million of them that have more than 100 subscribers. I know 28 million is still a massive number, but that is edging up on 100 million less that have just more than 100 subscribers, which getting your first 100 on YouTube is incredibly hard. But, you know, if you post fairly consistently and the thing you're posting is relatively high quality and you do it for, you know, I... Any, I don't want to say any amount of time, but uh, within a year, I would think that, you know, 
most people would hit that 100 subscriber milestone in a time frame like that. So you have to typically, you know, work at it. But that, to me, what that kind of says is there might be 114 million channels, but there's 28 million channels where people have maybe like burned a few extra calories at least. Some of those are obviously going to be one that somebody uploaded one video once and it went viral. You know, it got 10 million views on accident. And, you know, it's their cat falling down or something. And people subscribe to the channel. The person doesn't even remember they have a YouTube account. <laughs> like those are, those are in there too. So we can take that even further then. Uh, there are, of the 114 million total channels, there are only 10 million YouTube channels with more than 1,000 subscribers. Now, it is very difficult to accidentally get 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. You can have a viral video, you can create an account, forget about it for several years, come back to it and realize, oh, shoot, somehow this has like 100 subscribers. 1,000 is different. That that kind of requires... The number of times I have found like viral videos, something will pop up in my feed that's, you know, some... It's It's usually like something a corgi puppy is doing or you know, something like that. And I'm like, I'm going to watch this video. It's got 45 million views. Cool. And it's on a channel that has 320 subscribers. So even with like a massively viral video, like tens of millions of views, it does not automatically contribute to lots of subscribers or channel growth. So I think it does to a few hundred, but getting over a thousand accidentally, I would say is exceptionally rare and probably means that if someone has a thousand subscribers, they have put in a moderate amount of, at least a moderate amount of active effort to build their channel and, and grow and develop and everything. So we can take that even further then. Of the 114 million channels, there are only 2 million with more than 10,000 subscribers, which is, that is not something you can do accidental. That's something you've got to do by putting in a ton of time, energy, effort, probably money, blood, sweat, tears, the whole thing. So that kind of brings it down there. And, you know, podcast numbers are very different. We've talked about many times before that if your podcast gets more than 28 downloads in the first seven days, you're in the top 50%. So podcast numbers are very different than YouTube numbers. But I think this kind of maybe evens things out. So when we started out by saying there are 2.4 million podcasts in the world, but 114 million YouTube channels, if we kind of look at that and go like, okay, what's, you know, of those 2.4 million podcasts, I don't know how many of them are still active. Probably not all 2.4 million of the YouTube channels. I don't know how many are still active, but it kind of becomes more, more, um, not in line, but less of a disparity between those numbers when you look at things that are active and growing. So with that in mind, there are 400 million global podcast listeners. So 400 million people, almost half a billion around the earth, classify themselves as someone who listens to podcasts. Of those, 22% listen while driving which I thought was an important statistic to bring up because if you're creating a video podcast and a huge chunk of your audience is listening while driving, guess what they're not doing? They're not, hopefully, watching your video podcast. They're probably doing what I do many times, which is listening to a video podcast. And that's what I think happens a lot of the time. 17% of podcasts have video. So feels like videos taking over. And I think that number is just going to keep going up. Videos, podcasts are not stopping. They're not going away. 
that toothpaste not going back in the tube. But as of right now, only 17% of podcasts have a video component. And then this is kind of, I took these statistics specifically because I thought they were, they were relevant in terms of like a video podcast workflow. Okay, <clears throat> this is about length of podcasts. 69% of podcasts are more than 20 minutes long. So the vast majority, 69%, are more than 20 minutes long. 21% are between 40 and 60 minutes in length. That's the, that's the biggest single percentage, 21% between 40 and 60 minutes in length. 18% of podcasts are longer than 60 minutes. The reason I bring that up is because when we look at the vast majority of podcasts being more than 20 minutes with a huge chunk of those being upwards of an hour or more, that's a lot of video. Those are big video files. That's a lot of video to record. If a lot of podcasts have multiple cameras, how are you editing that together? Are you editing it? Like that to me was just emphasizing sort of the, the back end of that workflow. If you do a weekly show or a bi-monthly show, it's probably not much. Some people do three times a week, five times a week their show. And you're going to record an hour of video from potentially multiple cameras each time. It's just such a different workflow than an audio file or even separate audio files for each microphone or whatever it might be. That's a, that's a lot of media to manage and to deal with. And then this statistic, so it probably includes the 22% of people who are driving, but 59% of people who tune into a podcast do so while also doing something else simultaneously. That's me uh, pretty much all the time. I don't think, I don't think I ever just sit and stare and listen to a podcast. I don't think I've ever done that. Even like my favorite podcasts. I'm always doing something else. I get excited when I have to do something. If I'm going on a long drive and I'm like, okay, it's podcast time. If I need to like go do yard work, cool, put on a podcast. Film B-roll footage, podcast time. Like I love finding activities where I can listen to podcasts, but I'm always doing something else. And even I know when I watch a video version, which here's the hypocrite in me, not the hypocrite. I'm not saying video podcasts are bad, but... <laughs> This is probably why I feel guilty because if there's a podcast, going back to Jared in the Hive, when Jared puts out a new episode of his podcast and the audio version pops up and the video version pops up, I will choose the video version. <laughs> like I would prefer to watch the video version because I get to see the the person, I get to see everybody's like I know I know Jared but I get to see his expressions. But sometimes the guests I'm not familiar with, so I get to see what they look like, see what their their environment is, what their setup is. I can see their facial expressions, you know, like the benefits of video. And it's really nice. And so I'll put that video version up, even if I then end up never looking at it and just listening the whole time. But I still do prefer it. The thing I've had to realize, though, is that if that's not the case and I only have the audio version... I don't really miss the video version. So it's this weird, it's like, it's almost, I can't, I, I can't think of a good analogy, but I was thinking the other day, I heard somebody talking about like YouTube shorts and, and short form content, how easy it is to make that versus something like a, an hour long or a 40 minute long, like deep dive video. And I was thinking about how algorithmically, 
A platform like YouTube will serve both of those things up as if they are the same. And for a lot of people who are just scrolling through their feeds trying to find, you know, as much stuff to consume as possible, they don't really differentiate. Like double tap to like or whatever the 16 second video that took 16 seconds to make or the 45 minute video that took two and a half months to make. It's It gets the same scroll, the same tap. If they actually jump in and engage with it, then that could be different. It could you know, have a bigger effect on them. But the the effort that you put into something, you know, is not always recognized by the platform or the viewer on the other end. And so you put all this time, energy into your video podcast, your graphics, your set, uploading it, sharing it, only for people to just still pretty much listen to it <laughs> anyway. So that's, yeah. The other The other thing which I thought was interesting is uh, virtually everybody who subscribes to a podcast, not just people who listen to a podcast, but people who subscribe to one, they, they've gone the one step further and they've, you know, they have a show that they follow. Almost nobody who subscribes, I couldn't even find the number because it was so like statistically irrelevant. Almost nobody who subscribes to a podcast subscribes to just one podcast. If you've clicked that button once, you've done so at l- probably at least a couple of other times. And 21.7% of people subscribe to more than 70 podcasts. That's a lot of stuff to listen to. That's a lot of stuff to wade through. That's a lot of reasons why somebody might miss an episode of your show. And for me, that's again, another reason why if I have a more enjoyable workflow that not only is more fun for me, but also easier for me, that's the one that makes kind of sense. That's just the one that makes more sense for me personally on the creative side of things. But again, though, the thing I really want to drive home is I'm not anti-video podcast. So I'm not like, I'm not anti-video podcast. I enjoy them. I think they're valuable. I think they're very exciting. The thing that, that that I just wanted to do was just put my voice out there saying, I love audio and video production. This stuff is so much fun. I love podcasts. But you know what? For the most part, I just don't feel like making a video podcast. And that's okay. And so if you're somebody who is creating a podcast and you feel like you need to add a video version, but you kind of don't want to, you're just sort of feeling pressured to because it's such a growing thing, I'm just telling you, you don't have to. If you're somebody who's never gotten started because you think you have to have a video version and your podcasting be good enough is just audio, I'm telling you that that's not true. You can do just audio and you can you can switch it up and you can even do you know a version of what I do and sometimes you have video and sometimes you don't. It's not like you have to make that commitment every single time. And of course, you know, there are because you're adding in a totally different medium of a video to a video podcast as much as that does have a bunch of extra work involved, it does also have a lot of other advantages. I'm not blind to those advantages. You know, video is a very, very engaging medium. That's why it is so incredibly popular. And again, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, the absolute biggest advantage to a video podcast is that it gives you your podcast access to YouTube, which is like YouTube, if you took all of the other podcasting hosts and platforms, including Apple and Spotify, which are the biggest. And I know Spotify does video podcasts, but it doesn't have the search and discovery the same way that YouTube does or the customer base or the 
user base that YouTube does. If you took all of those and combined them, YouTube is still so much bigger and just has so many more resources. And so again, if if growth and discovery is important to you for your podcast, then putting a video, a good video version on YouTube really does make a lot of sense. Not just like, you know, your artwork with the audio playing because yeah, that's a, that might be helpful for people who already know they want to listen to it, but it's probably not going to be much that's going to pop up in like somebody's recommended feed and they're going to click on it. But having access to everything that YouTube has is huge. And I know YouTube YouTube has been embracing podcasts, which is still relatively ambiguous. Um, they even released this whole guide recently. It was this beautifully put together like 40-page PDF about how to prepare your video podcast for YouTube. And it was wonderful. And it was filled with a ton of helpful info. And I couldn't help but think, though, that everything they were describing was just making a YouTube video. Like the, the way they were describing putting it together and producing it and the decisions and one channel or multiple channels and all this stuff is like, this is very true for video podcasts. It's also just true for making a YouTube video because ultimately when you're putting your podcast on YouTube, it is a YouTube video. Like the, there's not, they have their podcast section now, which is great, but it's not like this entirely walled off garden. Like you're, your video podcast, if it's an hour and a half long, still going to be uploaded and recommended and searched the same way that any other YouTube video will be, which is actually a good thing. I'm saying, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's, it's a great thing that you can have access to all of those resources. But additionally, some people do just genuinely enjoy video podcasting. Like even if the show, even if the show doesn't need it, I know some shows demand it, but even if yours doesn't, it is just you kind of sitting and talking a bit some people genuinely just enjoy producing them. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And when I don't, then I don't. Like, that's why there's no video versions. But sometimes it is really fun or it lets you try something out. And you don't really need a strategy beyond that, beyond it being a fun thing that you wanted to try, that you just wanted to try out and and explore. And I, I think that that's... I, I've been hesitant to address this topic, but I, I kind of wanted to explain you know, why there aren't always video versions of my episodes. And I also wanted to just be, you know, offer a perspective, I guess, is a better way to put it. And a bit of a reminder <laughs> to anyone who might feel like they're creating a video podcast more out of obligation than enthusiasm. Or again, somebody who might feel like they need to add video to their show, even if they don't really want to, but it's like, you know, it's almost 2023. I can't can't not be having a video podcast over here like it's, you know, podcasting from the 1900s over here. <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm curious as to thoughts about this. I'm curious, I'm curious about what other people think. So feel free to share those if you'd like to with me. Um, but it's also just something, for me, it's, there have been a few times where admitting something to myself in my like creative journey has been really empowering. And one of the biggest one ha was admitting that I wanted to do this as a full-time job, which I was just talking about this this past week with somebody, but it was something, I, I didn't actually admit that to myself until the summer of 2020, because that was when the channel was starting to grow. 
And I remember very well being on a bike ride, riding my bike, thinking about things. Okay, I'm going to make these video what I want to work on. And thinking like, yeah, I do want to, I do want to do this full time. If I could do this, I would. And I don't know why I had known that, but taking the the leap to actually admit that to myself just felt so risky and so different and so, uh, I don't like, bold isn't the right word because that has like a confidence to it that I don't know, that was not there, but it was kind of a bold thing, I guess. But once I did that, it felt really good. And then I was able to start putting things together and making decisions and gaining a perspective that came from having that as a goal. So it still took, from that point, it still took like nine months before I actually did it full time. So it wasn't like, I want to do this. I'm going to do it right now. But then it was like, okay, well, if I wanted to do this, how much money would I need to be making? Like, how is the channel? Like, I I was starting, since I admitted that to myself, then it was like, now I can start asking these follow-up questions to see how realistic this is or isn't. And that couldn't have happened without the first thing. And this kind of reminds me of that because it's been such a a thing of like, there's a thing I feel like I should be doing and that it should be enjoyable, but for some reason I don't feel like doing it and it doesn't seem enjoyable, but so, so something must be wrong with me is like, I must be doing something wrong or I'm approaching it wrong. And that's just not the case. Like I just, I just personally enjoy producing audio only podcasts more than video podcasts, at least right now, you know, which has been the case for the four years that I've had this show. But uh, yeah, I like, I love the chance to just dive in and focus on audio only for a bit. That's part of the fun of it for me. And I don't know, just admitting that I think is, is a little bit important. So that's uh, this week's soapbox, so to speak. But uh, speaking of speaking, if you want to speak to someone remotely, don't forget about the sponsor for this episode, Riverside.fm. You can use that link in the description and promo code TOM15 for 15% off your subscription with the link in the description. So again, feel free to reach out if you have any thoughts about this topic. I really genuinely hope that I came across as intended. I tried very hard to organize my thoughts before recording because I, again, don't want anyone to think that I'm being critical of video podcasting as a medium. That's like saying, I only like watercolor and not oil paints. Like, well, okay, but, you know, oil paint's great too. It's just, they're different things. And I, I want to be clear that I'm talking more from like the creative production side of things, just my preferences, and that it's absolutely okay, even if it's, even if the whole world feels like is making you feel like you should do something, it's very important to stick with what you genuinely feel like you should do because you are the one who knows you the best, right? So that's what I wanted to share with you and uh, I hope it made sense. Genuinely hope it made sense. So again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for spending your time with me. If you want to check out Rough Cut to Final Cut, my if you do like video and you want to edit stuff, you can go to learnfinalcutpro.com and learn from Tom how to use Final Cut Pro. That's my new course that I just finished. We'll be talking all about that um, because I'm really excited about it. And I learned a heck of a lot from putting that together. So that's there. Uh, you you know where to find me on the YouTubes and everything. And I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week. And I will see you next time. <laughs>